students were in here today because um, uh, Shane, uh, who, who works in, in there, he, uh, he said he ate some bad shrimp last night, and uh, it wasn't good. So, Shane, if you're watching, I'm so sorry your tummy hurts and you couldn't come to church today. I mean, we want to be compassionate and kind. I mean, can't we? Uh, our youngest, just before we even get started, our youngest, um, she, 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 Emery, she comes up with these dad jokes, which are awesome, right? I mean, she comes up with the most incredible dad jokes, and, uh, and I don't know, she kind of has a gift for it. Um, her favorite one at this time of year, she said, what did one casket say to the other casket? Are you coughing? <laughs> um, I thought that was brilliant. And then, and then last weekend when we were away, she said to me, she said, were you born on a highway? Because that's where most accidents happen. Um, so if anybody's interested in adoption, um, she will be available here any day now, um, which will be great. She, she's, I mean, every day, every day, she comes up with the most bizarre things, and they really are funny. Um, and then, you know, Meredith, uh, Meredith uh, sends me some, some dad jokes, which I, I've come to love, and I realize that I'm in that phase in my life where I like dad jokes, and I'm not sure what that quite means, means about me. Uh, today, uh, this week and next week, we're finishing the series on Galatians, and so it's kind of, it's kind of the home stretch, if you will. Uh, if you're running a race, if it was an 800 or a, or a 1500 or whatever it was, uh, this is kind of today we're doing, you know, 200 to 100, and then next week will be 100 to the finish line. And uh, and Paul, who's writing to this church, uh, kind of is is softening his tone. The first five chapters, if if you were listening to the book of Galatians on audiobook, it would all be very loud because Paul's got himself kind of worked up and he really wants them not to miss what he is trying to share with them and say to them. But now in chapter six, he's going to kind of soften himself a little bit and try to at least finish the book on a positive note. And he's going to talk about some things today. And I want to kind of start maybe in a different in a different space. You know, one of the things that we talk about in our lives is what are our experiences? What, what, what are the experiences we've had? I've learned something, a saying a while back that I really like. It says, good choices come from experience, but experience comes from bad choices. You get that? Sometimes the, the, the fuel for us to make good choices usually comes from something in our life where we made a bad choice and we hopefully learn from it. You know, sometimes when you're, when you, when you're teaching or when you're sharing stories, we always want to share stories in which we're the heroes of our stories. It's just a natural thing. We want recognition and affirmation. But one of the things that we've got to start learning to do is tell our best, worst stories, right? The ones that maybe don't paint us in the best light. And often we don't tell these stories because our greatest fear is if we're sitting in a group and there's a circle of people that are sharing, and maybe let's just say we're going around and saying, hey, well, you know, what's kind of gone on in your life? We expect the first person to say, well, this week I made this mistake, and everybody kind of nod their head and say, oh, thank you for sharing. You know, we're going to pray for you. And you go around the group, and then you share your worst story, and everybody goes, oh, I can't believe I did that. Even though that's built up in our heads, we're so afraid that somebody would look at us with judgment uh, about a bad decision. And, And what I've come to learn in life, hopefully what I've come to learn in life, is that when we share life's mistakes with others, it's amazing how people connect and see themselves and maybe never treat us with eyes of judgment, but treat us with hearts of compassion. Um, So I want to share a story today that's not a great story. 
a story that I'm ashamed of. It's a story that I wish I could take back in some ways, but in other ways, I'm glad that it happened the way that it did. It happened uh, about 20 years ago. Um, I was in, in grad school. Actually, it's probably, it's probably a little closer to 21, 22 years ago. I started grad school, and for those of you that, are, that have ever done any kind of graduate school work, you know that the intensity just grows, and it's huge. And you have three or four classes, and you're reading 15 to 20 books per class. It's a huge workload. I was working as a graduate, graduate assistant for the dean of the college, for the dean of, of our department. And he was, uh, he's still alive, he's a, a, a tremendous man, he's since retired. But, but we, were, we were doing these classes and I was preaching on weekends and I was trying to make a living and trying to you know, read all these books and, and, and you're trying to learn how to do these things. And I remember we got to the end of the term and a paper was due, it was an Old Testament survey class. And I had to write uh, something, I think the topic that I had chosen was about the fall of Second Temple and the Assyrians and, and just, you know, it's just an enormous amount of work. And these papers are maybe, they're, they're maybe 15 or 20 pages and you think, well, that doesn't sound like too much. But you have to basically learn how to develop an argument, how to say, this is why I think this, and, and you've got to kind of piece it all together. Well, these are the early days still when the internet is available, and a lot of things have now become digitized or are in electronic form. And I remember writing this paper, and there was one argument that I read, and, and really the point is you've got to try to take all this material and blend it together to make your own argument. And I just couldn't make it any better than the guy who was making it. And so it's pretty obvious what happened, right? I didn't mean to do it, but I learned what copy and paste was. And I took a section, it was about half a page, and I cited the source, but then the argument, I changed a few words to make it sound like I was coming up with these conclusions, and I really wasn't. I was tired, I was overwhelmed, I was overworked, and it was one of those things, our teachers are not people of grace. Every day you turn it in late, it's a letter grade. So if you turn it in two days late, the best grade you can get on that is a C. And so I took a shortcut. And I got an email that, from the teacher that says, hey, uh, I need to have a conversation with you about your grade in the class and, and what you've done on this paper, which I was still kind of oblivious to it because I thought, Wow, I really, no, nobody's going to know this, right? The dean sent me an email, the guy that I worked with. And he sat me down and he said, hey, tell me what's going on in your life. I said, man, it's got a lot going on, a lot of, a lot of everything else, all the rest of it. I kind of told him I'm busy, I'm overworked, I'm overwhelmed. It's, you know, graduate school was just, just kind of eating my lunch. It's huge. And he took my paper and he handed it across the table and had a big fat F on it. And then he went to his shelf and he pulled out a book and he opened the book and he said, I get it. Yeah, he was one of the editors on the book. You see that? But he knew his material so well that he knew when it was too hard. And he sat me down and in that moment, you know that cold sweat that comes over you says, we have an academic integrity policy here. He says, this is your first infraction. You didn't kill anyone. Nobody's going to jail. You're not losing scholarships. But you made a mistake. And I was, I was like, yeah, I, I did. I mean, wh wh what are you going to do, argue? <laughs> yes. 
I made a mistake. I took a shortcut. I didn't mean to. I did. It's half a page on a 20-page document. I could probably have justified that. It's not that much. It's maybe just a little over the limit of how much we can actually quote word for word. I, I could have, but I just, I was caught, and I said, I, I just, I did it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. And he said, it's okay. Maybe we need to just manage some things, the stuff that you do here. He treated me with gentleness and kindness in that moment. He said, you're going to have to take that class again in the summer, but we're going we're gonna to withdraw you from the class so you don't have an F on your transcript. You're going to have to pay for the class again. We feel like that's punishment, al- punishment enough. I never forgot it. I took the survey class again. I still couldn't tell you what happened in Second Temple and the Assyrians. But I learned more in that moment. It was such a formative moment for me. I learned so much. I learned more in that moment than I did from the class. It's one of the reasons why I don't preach with notes. Because it keeps me honest. I don't re-preach sermons. Haley was very instrumental in this in the early days that we were married. She said, don't do that. I have a policy that I never re-preach material that I've preached. I'm sure there's a story here and there that I tell more than once or a comment that I make because it's a body of work. But I try hard to have integrity when I share and say things and not make those same mistakes again. They, they, They were just a moment of weakness. A lot of the mistakes we make in our lives have nothing to do with us waking up and saying, today I want to defraud the system. But it just happens. We get busy. Life gets in the way. But I remember that moment because he was gentle with me and never brought it up again. Never treated me differently as a result of that. That was awesome. You see, I think what we would say is life lived with awareness is good. It's positive. We should have some awareness in our lives. Lives uh, lived with excuses or blame are bad, and we shouldn't lean ourselves towards that. And this is what Paul is trying to drive home in this last 200 of the book of Galatians. And he says these words. I'm going to read the first half of chapter 6 today, I think in four or five sections. The first one he says to them is this at the end. He says, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also will be tempted. You know what I figured out maybe as a part of that, but I'm just articulating this today. Sins are shortcuts. That's what they are. There's no substitute for hard work. There's no substitute for showing up. But most of the sins that we commit in our lives are because we're looking for a quicker way between A and B, and we don't want to do the work. Most of the sins that we struggle with are shortcuts. And when you live your life with enough shortcuts, nothing good ever happens, right? You start to blame it on everybody else and say, it can't be my fault. But in my moment 20 years ago, I took a shortcut, and I shouldn't have. I know I shouldn't have. But that's where the sin came in. Because I was trying to get from A and B without doing the work. And the whole point of the exercise of writing a paper is to do the work. And I took a shortcut. You see, what sins do is sins actually promise good results, which is what we call the false narrative. They tell you it's not going to be that bad. Just think about the early stories of Adam and Eve. It's not going to be that bad. Sins give us false promises. Hey, if you do this, you'll have more time to do this. Hey, if you spend this, then you'll... 
They tell us lies, and they sound really good, but they never turn out well because sin only brings defeat and destruction. That is sin's true nature. You can run from it as long as you like, but when the paper is passed across the table, you realize you are living in a world of defeat and destruction. You know, another thing, and I know this is not the right way to say this, but I think you'll understand what I mean. Spiritual awareness is a skill, not a talent, okay? You're not born with spiritual awareness. It's something that grows in us as we become more mature. And as as we have more of those bad choices that grow our experience, we either learn from them or we don't. It's not something, people just say, well, I'm not that spiritually aware. It's not like your parents did something wrong or you didn't go to the right Sunday school. Yes, some of us might be more behind than others, but when you have an opportunity to become more spiritually aware, the decision whether you take it or not is up to you. It's not about how much you've been given. It's what you do with what you've been given. This is why Paul says gentleness comes from a, from a life lived in the spirit. Those that live in the spirit. Did you hear the little bit of, little bit of caution there? Because when people sin against us, what's our instinct? We want to go to them and say, you are wrong. He says gentleness takes spirituality. Gentleness takes some awareness of where I am with God and the way that I approach people is, is going to change because of the spirit that is in me. You see, spiritual awareness becomes a protective instinct. This is why Adam and Eve don't have it. They're deceived so easily in the garden. You will surely not die. God's not going to do that. Your life's going to be so much more, uh, so much better You're going to see things you never saw. You're going to understand things you never understood. But I bet after their experience, after the fall, after they're kicked out of the garden, spiritual awareness starts to grow in them, and they see things differently moving forward. If you are spiritual and you see something going on in someone else's life, our first instinct doesn't become, i got to correct that. The first instinct is, I have to find a way gently bring this person into a better relationship with me because spiritual awareness comes from a willingness to admit that you made a mistake what happens when adam and eve are in the garden and god confronts them and says where are you oh we're naked we were hiding who told you you were naked what did you do well i didn't do it it was her he says well i didn't do it it was it was you know it was the enemy They're unwilling to admit their mistake in that moment. And that's why they they lack a lot of spiritual awareness. Galatians 6 verse 2. (laughs) Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, Paul uses the word law, even though he's used it in a negative context the entire book. He's going to speak about it, but he calls it the law of Christ. He talks about carrying each other's burdens, which is an act of kindness. And he says, kindness comes from a life lived in the spirit. If you are a kind person, usually that means that you are close to the heart of God. He uses the word Christ's law. And what he means is Christ's law is love before obedience. See, the Old Testament taught you if you were obedient enough, God would love you. And Christ said, no, no, God loves you before you even knew it. 
God so loved the world. And hopefully, as we, as we love well, as I share my love with you, that's what God says, you will become obedient, not because you have to to get it, but because you already have it. This is why I love the image of the Sabbath. Is the Sabbath the last day or the first day? In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was on the seventh day. It was Saturday, right? Your, 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 your day starts on, your week starts on Monday and goes all the way through. And the Old Testament theology in some ways was you be obedient for six days and God will give you a day of rest. And a lot of the law, the Old Testament law, was based on that idea, you do good first and then God, when you're good enough, God will step in. And that changes with Jesus. Because now we don't worship. I mean, we should worship every day. We get that. But now we worship on the first day. You know why? Theologically, what that says is God gives you love and acceptance and grace first. And then you try to live your week in obedience. You give your first to God and you accept what he is giving you. And then you live according to what you've been given. This is why Paul in Romans 12, he doesn't say, you, you know, give yourselves as living sacrifices and then God will give you mercy. He says, in view of God's mercy, it's already been given. Now live that out. Try to live worthily of what God has already given. Don't try to earn it just because it's at the end of the week. And Paul's trying to convey this to, to the church. Verse 3, it says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each of you should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anybody else. Isn't that a, somebody needs to put that verse on Facebook, right? Stop comparing yourself to every single, uh, every other person. For each one should carry their own load. He is telling them that they are living in a church where Jews and Gentiles come together. And they're struggling with that. And he says to them, stop looking at the Gentile nation and stop looking at the Jewish nation because comparison is a false narrative. Comparison is of the enemy. Comparison tells you you are not good enough and you will never be good enough because you'll never be as good as them. And our world thrives on comparison. And Paul is encouraging them gently and kindly and says stop doing that now he does encourage them as well it says you need to carry your own water right you got you got to carry your own faith you can't blame your faith away on well i didn't do this or i didn't experience that or i didn't have this growing up or i wasn't you know i, I didn't have the same experience as you he says you got to own where you are in faith and you've got to walk from there Verse 6, it says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. It's a nice way of talking about sin. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Our harvest always reveals what we plant. I had, I had a lot of these conversations or these experiences. Um, we had this thing happen a couple years ago. I don't know if you guys heard about it. It's called COVID. Um, and people lost their minds, right? 
people lost their faith. And some people that used to come to church here don't go to church anywhere anymore. And some people go to other churches. And that's all part of it. But I had a few conversations when people had been away from church for an extended period of time. They, they had taken a shortcut and used all the excuses. And then they have kids that were graduating from high school. And they said, our kids don't go to church anywhere. Or they'd say, we've lost our way. Our marriage is falling apart. What's, what's going on? I'm not saying all those things are independent. But the harvest is a hard thing. Sometimes that's the moment where we have to admit that we haven't sown in the ground. And I've told more than, more than one family, some families that are sitting in this room today, you've got to start sowing again, and it's going to take a minute, but the harvest will come. But if you're holding an empty basket and you're going, what happened? It's pretty obvious. You can blame the weather and the sun and everything else or whatever other excuse you want. But if there's nothing in your basket, it probably has something to do with what you've sown or the lack of sowing. And Paul is saying, look at your harvest and admit what, what's there and admit what's not. Finishing out the first part, it says, Verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. It's a nice way of saying the church. You know, prayer is good. Singing is good. Worship is good. Doing good is also a spiritual discipline. It's something that we have to learn how to do. And the reason why we have to learn how to do good, I mean, wouldn't that be obvious? Is Paul like, listen, you need to go and do good to the world. Well, obviously, that's, that's required, but it's not. Because doing good is difficult and unnatural because we like shortcuts. Because sins are shortcuts. They get us from A to B quicker, and they require less of us. And doing good is the same thing. It takes more time and more effort for me to be good to you. It's much easier for me to judge you or point fingers or write you off or say mean things. But Paul's saying doing good requires effort. And the enemy lies to us and says, no, you can get there quicker. What's the old saying? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That is the enemy's theology. You're going to double your money. You're going to have the relationship with, with no work. Your job, people are going to start bowing down and kissing the ring. It doesn't happen. Doing good, gentleness, kindness, hard work. Because sin brings only defeat and destruction. That's what it actually does. You see, the spiritual life grows mostly out of a place of defeat. This is why we should share our bad stories, because your worst stories become your victories. The person that says, I'm on my fourth marriage, there's redemption and victory in that. person that says, I've never stayed at a job longer than a year, and now I've been at this one for three, 
there's victory in that. People that say, I was a compulsive shopper. Our lives were defined by debt, but we're getting out of it. There's victory in that. You see, your weakness is God's best narrative. (laughs) God's best story is when you tell yours. This is why the story of Gideon in Judges 6 is so powerful. Because he's nothing. And God says, I'm going to use you. And he argues with God because that's what you do. And he goes, I'm terrible. I'm useless. i got nothing to offer. And God says, exactly. Nobody's going to think it was you. They're going to know it was me. Because all you bring is brokenness and hurt and pain and judgment and suffering. But I can turn it around. Because I loved you first. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to be... You don't have to be good enough for me because I made you and that makes you good enough. So start with that. Go out every day. Be kind to the world that will throw back bad things. You know, we, you guys have the same chats with your kids, don't you? Some kid was mean at school. And so we tell him, you go and you lay him out. No, we don't say that. We say, be kind. Be kind to them. your best self. Try to love them where they're at. You know how hard it is to teach a nine-year-old to be kind when people are mean to them? But don't tell your kids not to deal with adversity. If they make mistakes, make them admit their mistakes. Don't be afraid to punish your kids. It's not because you hate them. It's because you love them. That's what God does with us. Our kids know that we love them no matter what. We love you. You made a mistake. But we've learned something from this mistake. And that's what God wants to share with us. I love you. Doesn't matter what you're bringing today. Jesse, you said it very well today, wherever you are. There you go. You said, some of us are going through stuff. I don't know what you're going through. You don't know what I'm going through. And that's okay. But let's treat each other with kindness, with gentleness understanding with love. Let us become Christ for another person. I was talking to, um, we had a a staff meeting uh, the other day, uh, all of our staff. Um, We we were sort of just just sharing together, and then Julie made us do this assignment where we kind of shared with with each other what we liked about these other people. We didn't have to do it in the room. We got to do it And I sent one of our staff a message. And I I said, some people are going to know Jesus because they meet you. Because this person is not perfect, not claiming to be perfect, far from it. But what I see in them is them doing their best to live out the Jesus story. And they're doing that so well that there are people that are at this church, not because they read their Bible or because they saw a miracle or because they heard a parable. They are at this church today because they met this person. Because they had an encounter with this person and they saw enough kindness and gentleness. You know what they saw? They saw the Holy Spirit in that person and they decided that was worth coming here for. And some of those people met Jesus 
because that person was willing to live the spirit-filled life. That is you. That is me. That is the only calling that Paul gives to the church. You live close to God as best you can. It doesn't matter what your bad stories are. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. What matters is you are seeking an imperfect life in the spirit, and God will give you something that he doesn't give the world. He will give you his spirit. And when people meet you, they meet him. And that's what Paul is calling this church to do. Stop worrying about everybody else. Worry about him. Let him fill you. Let him grow you. Let him take your mistakes and make you whole. Because that's what our God does. So Father, today, thank you for meeting us in this place. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. Thank you for the moment to Maybe laugh a little, feel convicted. God, to know that you are working in us and through us and sometimes in spite of us. Thank you that you have given us as much love as we will ever have and that we won't have to earn it from you. Thank you for being our father and not our master. So we just pray today that as we give this time to you, that you would just do something powerful and mighty in it and through it. As we continue to sing some words in worship, Father, we just pray. We just pray that you would fill us up, that you would affirm us, that as we step out into the world, that we will be more gentle and kind, that we will try to do good, that we will show up, that we will work hard not to earn something.